VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Ruckers. There's no time to lose this week with much to discuss, so let's get on with it. Sale and Saracens made the Premiership final. Stormers and Munster. Munster, not Leinster. Made the URC final. We've got Champions and Challenge Cup finals and loads else going on. Will Kelleher here. I'm joining me in the studio is the Times' is Bryn Turfel. Elgin Alderman. Elgin, you right? You Where were you this week? I've heard you were singing. I was singing. Uh, I have been singing this week. I was at Jamie Roberts' testimonial dinner yeah. last week. Uh, we were singing just a little bit of an introduction, a few introductory pieces while uh, all the famous rugby stars were turning up to raise lots of money for, for Jamie Roberts' chosen charity. And then as soon as Martin Bayfield came up to begin proceedings, we were turfed out and had to leave. So, really? Uh, but, but, but we had a lovely time oh. while we were there. And Jamie was a very gracious host, came and said hello to all the members of the choir. So it, it was good fun to be there. Obviously, we were happy just to be there for, yeah. for any part so of it. So did you miss Stereophonics? Because they were there. But... Yeah, sadly, we, we, we weren't oh, there. We, we, we warmed up the stage for, for the Stereophonics okay. and then <laughs> uh, and we left it to them thereafter. But no, it was, a, it was a great evening and by all accounts, very successful evening, raised a lot of money for charity. Yeah. Mark Palmer's on the line from our Scottish studios. Mark, are you a, an operatic singer? Where, where are you on that? Uh, probably best that I don't give any evidence either way, frankly. But uh, <laughs> After 10 pints, you're brilliant, I've heard. Indeed, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. As with most things. Yeah. So how, how's things? Everyone getting excited up, up your way with uh, Glasgow in the Challenge Cup final on Friday? Yes, as I was telling you there before we, we come on, I'm in a, a broom cupboard at Scotston as we speak, preparing for our uh, first access of the week, ahead of the Challenge Cup final on Friday. As you say, a, a big, big excitement here. Uh, only the second time a Scottish team has been in a European final, first time for Glasgow. So new ground being broken all round and, and hopefully they can continue that by actually bringing home the trophy. Perfect. Well, we'll get on to that and loads more because we're going to have Dan Bigger, friend of the pod, coming in hot from Toulon, Glasgow's opponents. Um, we'll also talk about the Premiership semi-finals, a bit of URC semi-finals as well. And as ever, we will name God or Goddess of the Week with a bit of Champions Cup final preview in, in there as well. But we've got loads to do, so why don't we get on with it, starting with the Premiership semis. Okay, so Premiership semi-finals, we have this final we probably predicted a few weeks out, Sale made it and Saracens made it 1v2 and I'm I'm enjoying enjoying the fact that my stat is still alive that the third place team has never won the title so that lives another year but where should we start should we start with Saracens to me it felt like every single Saracens semi-final pretty much ever the ones they've won anyway winning about 30 odd 15 odd what did you make of it, Elgin? Yeah, I mean, with the exception of obviously that famous Henry Slade kick to the corner when, mm. when Exeter just nabbed it at the end, you do just tend to expect Saracens to to have their way with semi-finals as as they often have in the the late 2010s before they kind of well, well before they were knocked out of the league very briefly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it did go sort of as you expect. You know, Northampton. We, we, you look at the table and I think only Newcastle conceded more tries than them this season. You, you, know, you do expect teams in the top four to have really tight defences. We, we saw Harlequins buck that trend when they conceded, I think, 30 more tries than the other three teams in the top four. But by and large, you do get you know the tight championship winning teams are the ones that defend manfully for 80 minutes. And Saracens did that yet again. And But in addition to that, you had some excellent attacking player. You had Owen Farrell 
running the show from from number 10 in the way that a lot of, you know, he has a lot of detractors who regard him as being quite a dour, boring fly-off, but actually, you know, he makes a very good attacking Saracens team tick in, in many ways. So, yeah, there weren't many surprises and undoubtedly they will go into the final as, as huge favourites. Yeah, it was funny what we were talking about this off-air before because having watched it, I wasn't at the game, um, but I was watching it on telly and because I went to the, the sale one and after it had finished, I just was a bit sort of thinking, oh, I don't know, these semi-finals are not brilliant. Like the top two teams often win them. They're never that close. And I don't know, is there an easier way of getting to the inevitable 1v2 final? But then up at sale... It was epic, and we'll get onto that in a second. But we should much we should deal first with the the son of Scotland, uh, Sean Maitland. Did you see that, Mark? That sort of yes. rogue. Um, I don't know. He, he he jumped without really looking where he was going, and, and smacked George Furbank, who had a serious bang to the heads quite early on in the game as well. And Carl Dixon looked desperate not to brandish too dark a colour of card. So, what did you make of that, Mark? Well, as we all know, you know, the, 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 the time that these incidents occur in the game shouldn't have any influence, but you can't help but think that it did in this case. Um, and I must declare an interest as being a lifelong president of the Sean Maitland fan club. So, you know, I do think he was a lucky boy. Um, he, and it's very much unlike him because, you know, aerially he judges those things almost, you know, almost without fail to perfection. His interventions there um, got that one wrong, and you can see why Saints were awfully miffed that it didn't result in a greater penalty. Yeah, it's that funny one, isn't it? Because you sort of think if if Saracens had had him sent off early on, probably would have made a more interesting game. It's that oh, cards ruin games thing, which sometimes actually they might have improved it. But there we go. So Saracens I won. Yeah, the tries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, that was the yeah. galling thing. I think the second one came when he probably would have come back on if he'd been yellow. Yeah. But um, two tries, classic. It always happens like. That. That, doesn't it but then so I went up to sale on on Sunday and I don't know maybe I should have tapped into this before but I kind of wasn't expecting it to be as absolutely raucous as it was it was it was amazing like we turned up and you guys know you go to a game and you always it's a slight struggle to find the the right entrance <laughs> and this time it was a struggle because there's so many people in the way it was like every time you go up to sale it's largely a bit soulless and a bit kind of I don't know understated and They've had so many problems over the last decade or so trying to get people in there, but it was a full house to the point where they didn't really know what a full house was, like how many people that is, because they've basically never got close to it, really. They had about 10,000 in for the Leicester game around Christmas where they smashed them about 40 points when Wigglesworth had just taken over. But this time there are more people there, and it helped that about 2,000 Tigers fans came up the road. But... Outside the ground beforehand, there were about four deep waiting for the buses to come in. They had blue flares going mad. Atmosphere was amazing. Everyone kind of just took their seats with about an hour to go before kickoff. It was just awesome. And then I just thought George Ford was exceptional. Just lovely kicks into the corners and the, the northern boys chasing them, Aaron Reed and Tom Roebuck and Joe Cubs. What did you make of it when you were watching it, Elgin? The loveliest moment for me was, it didn't lead to a try in the end, but there was just that that little delayed pass that George Ford gave. It was one of, I think, two or three he did during the game. That just he brings the defender onto him and as an as a attacker is coming round, I think it was Anthony Watson out wide. He just went, went to the men out wide and just a lovely delayed pass, the type of thing you see George Ford, you see Marcus Smith do when he's at his best. And it just sent Roebuck through the middle. In the end, he couldn't quite get the offload away to Aaron Reed out wide. But it's just those delayed passes that, that make George Ford, you know, again, probably probably a bit too maligned, you know, as, as an attacking force. And yeah. and again, you know, obviously he's, he's not, not been in the running for, for England in, in recent years, much maligned. But again, if England had George Ford at fly half, I don't think it would be any bad thing. They've got, you know, two great options in, in Ford and Farrell and we're going to see them coming up against each other, hopefully yeah. in, a, in a final. Yeah, he tried to dampen that down, that battle between himself and Farrell. And we, when we spoke to him afterwards, sort of giving the quip of like, oh, it's just me against him, is it? <laughs> but yeah that's going to be great fun and uh, and we've seen them before because 2015 was, mm. was Bath Saracens and yeah, last yeah. year was obviously it ended up being the, the Freddie Burns final because yes, George Ford yeah, went off early yeah. but that was Leicester versus Saracens so now he's having a third crack with a third different team in Amazing, many it? final appearances yeah and I don't know I, we love a narrative don't we Mark but I think us who cover England a bit more than other teams that who's going to the World Cup as the 10s narrative is going to keep us keep us going all summer isn't it I mean it's certainly going to be Farrell as the captain and I'm sure Ford will go but it's do you pick Smith as well in a 33? 
that's that's going to keep us busy, isn't it, <laughs> for the next few months? No, indeed. Um, I, I was keeping an eye there as well on two guys that have been quite surprised haven't ended up in Gregor's uh, Gregor Townsend's army of uh, of imports in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Roebuck, who comes from the same uh, Bonnie uh, Highland city as Inverness as myself. Oh yeah, um, and Gus War, who's worn both jerseys at, at age grade levels okay, at a great from yeah. half. So. Um, I very much thought we might see one of those uh, in Gregor's World Cup training squad. You know, we know how he loves a curveball, but but no, it was actually quite a dull squad by his standard. Yeah. But those two have, have done excellently well uh, in in what looks a really you know impressive machine. There, you know, every yeah. time I see someone there, you know, it just all looks so slick, uh, both on on either side of the ball. And delighted for the, for them to kind of finally be back into into the big time. Yeah, this might be a bit of a I don't know behind the curtain mediary point to make, but. I think I just have loved the, this season. Like we've had sale players on the ruck this season. I feel like their media department and their marketing team and just are, are getting it. They really need to sell themselves, and it clearly works. I mean, sold out the AJ Bell Stadium, which they haven't done for ages properly, and their whole Northern Rugby Matters campaign. Everyone had T-shirts on. It was all lined up, and they've got Northern lads in the back line and in the pack with a few Afrikaners, obviously as well, which helps. But they just seem to be getting it that they can't be quiet up there. You've got to keep shouting about it. And you saw their old coach Steve Diamond in the week, who's up your way, Mark, now mm. in Edinburgh, saying how much of a disgrace it was that no sale players got major awards at the Premiership Rugby dinner the other day but I don't know I just think they're growing something really cool there and Alex Sanderson was saying afterwards that he almost doesn't like to talk about that side of it too much because he'll start crying because it just feels so special for him as a northerner who's going back there and someone who captained the club and played for the club and his brother played there for a bit too it just seems like there's something slightly more intangible there that's 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 really cool and in a, in a season that's been horrendous for lots of reasons, for losing clubs, and there's more to come possibly with that for London Irish, which we may touch on. I just thought it was a cool occasion and showed the best of Premiership rugby at last. I, I think it is, you know, it is so important for teams to have that that local edge to to what they're doing. You know, at the start of this year, I went to Coldy just after they'd been yeah. Ealing Trailfinders, and you know, their aim is to establish a Championship club on on the Wirral. They, they've stayed up this year; that's great. And a big thing about what they wanted to do was they, you know, when they got promoted to the Championship, they were inundated with messages from agents saying, "Oh, do you mm. want to have a look at you know my guy?" And but the, a big thing for them is trying to keep players from the area to have it have more of that local feel obviously Coldy is a very grassroots club you know they are they're playing in the championship but they have you know 23 park benches is is, is yeah, their, yeah. their stadium basically um but you know it is so important to have that that local edge so that fans feel like you know they're representing their boys when 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 they're playing you know in, in big matches yeah absolutely and not to bring it down too much but I think we should probably touch on this London Irish story that's going to keep rumbling on very briefly. So we're recording this on Monday, and if you're a keen subscriber to The Times, which I'm sure all of you are, then you will have seen that Alex Lowe, our rugby correspondent, has been writing well about this over the last few days, and essentially there's going to be a a deadline from the RFU for London Irish to complete their takeover, which includes a a slightly random smattering of um, American sports people, including Ray Lewis, (laughs) the former MNFL player. They need to sort that by the end of the month, or they're in some deep trouble, I think. So let's cross all fingers and toes that that can happen because losing three clubs in a season would be absolutely horrendous. But why don't we move on? Should we just quickly have a word on Northampton Saints and Leicester Tigers? I think they probably don't feel it on Monday morning, but still pretty remarkable effort from Richard Wigglesworth at at Leicester, Elgin, to have basically had all of his mates ripped out and then they're all going now. Um, Tom Harrison, him, Alan Waters all going to England to join Steve Borthwick and Kevin Sinfield, but pretty decent effort to wrestle that back. An 8% chance they had at one point to get into the playoffs. I I was on the ruck in December, which was when Steve Borthwick was still at Leicester, but was about to be made, as everyone expected, the England head coach and I was there at the Leicester Ospreys game when the questions were just about so Steve are you still going to be here on Monday basically and that's what everyone was talking about and I came on just after the England uh, he was announced as the England head coach and I remember being asked you know how are Leicester going to deal with that because they are losing their main man that has turned them around from a team that was 11th to a team that won the title and they started off not great under Richard Wigglesworth but I mean they've turned it around so well to to get to the semi even getting to the semi-finals based off what they were looking like halfway 
through the season. It has to be seen as some kind of success. For Northampton, you know, a second semi-final in a row, but another defeat, and they have lost a lot of Premiership semi-finals, but they're still getting there. So one day it'll come again where, where they are back in the final. But again, just, you know, probably just tighten up on some of that defence. You know, we, we, we love seeing them score so many tries, but if they just saw that some of those nuts and bolts then you know they'll be able to match Saracens even better if they get there again yeah absolutely right so so that was the premiership season and there's two teams left Ford v Farrell Sale v Saracens Alex Sanderson versus Mark McCall and all of his old mates that's going to be a belter in a couple of weeks time but up next there were some other interesting semi-finals very interesting results certainly Munster upsetting Leinster and Stormers setting up another URC final in Cape Town so why don't we talk about that next Right, so in the URC, unbelievable scenes, I suppose is the phrase, isn't it? With Jack Crowley's drop goal, Munster 16, Leinster 15, Leinster fall at the semi-final hurdle again, Mark. That was a shock result, surely. It was, and having seen Munster appear in Glasgow the previous week in the quarterfinal, I, I could not have seen that coming. They, albeit, they did show incredible resilience that night. They they lost four guys to head injuries, key players as well. Didn't create too many opportunities, but were very, very clinical when they did. And they've carried that through into the semi-final. Uh, there's a real desperation about them, having spoken to them, you know, either side of that quarterfinal. They know that it's been far too long. It was 2011-12 or something since the last winner trophy so they know that that needs to be righted um, I just thought it was a, a tremendous performance lots of guts on both sides of the ball they've come together under Graham Roundtree this year in a you know performing more consistently than they had been in previous seasons we'd seen flashes of the old Munster in those years but nothing quite as consistently as they've served it up this year I think they had a real reality check back in March when a Glasgow a fairly weakened Glasgow team went to Toman Park and, and, and spanked them and they've, and they've spoken about that since as being a kind of turning point to say no look you know that is not who we are sort it out for the business end of the season and they appear to be doing that very well albeit now with a a pretty tricky assignment for the final one after another yeah so as someone who covers the URC more than we do do you just find it more interesting to put it as bluntly as that that Leinster aren't just winning it all the time now that these South African teams and they're, they're, they're not just losing to them but they're losing to other teams too Definitely. And I think there's been a real influx of excitement in this competition over the last couple of years. It, it badly needed. I think a lot of us were probably sceptical about the, the introduction of the South Africans from a you know a logistical point of view and just how, you know, rivalries that had never existed before, how could they be established to mean something and to matter in, in a short space of time? But they have. They've, they, you know, I, I think they've definitely asked questions of the Northern Hemisphere teams that they hadn't been asked by their by their cohorts. Uh, the general level has improved across the board, I think, in the competition, as you see now three out of the last the, the two the two finals since the South African teams have been there they've had three three finalists of the four so you know the, the contribution they're making on the field is, is fairly self-evident it's good for everyone that well, apart from Leinster that they don't go on and win it for the 500th time in a row um, I know there's been a bit of criticism about some of their selections for the game but you know you know we often tell, speak to each other up here and say there are three Leinster 15s that could win the URC mm. but Maybe maybe we've massively overstated that because quite obviously <laughs> there aren't in yeah. this case. Well, um, does there have to be some? I mean, I know that there's a small regime change there, or maybe large one, with Stuart Lancaster going to Racing ninety two and the little known Jacques Nienaber going to Leinster. Um, <laughs> but is there some sort of recalibration? Do you think they need there? I mean, during the normal season, they're pretty pretty much fine. They're largely going to get into the last four, aren't they? But They've now lost two semi-finals in a row with a European Cup final on the horizon. And it was interesting, I just saw, following a few of the, the guys who cover the Irish provinces and Irish national team a fair bit, when Will Connors went off early, there was suggestion that, oh no, Josh van der Fleer is going to have to play 79 minutes a week before a final, rather than like, yeah. it's a semi-final now. I don't know, does, does everyone around that way have to kind of rethink it a little bit now that they're not just marching through all these URC games? Possibly, I'm sure there will, you know, knowing the whole kind of culture of that organisation, there will be a massive inquest as to why that's happened a couple of years in a row. Freshening up the coaching team, replacing one quality operator with another, yeah. I think can only benefit some of the most successful managers. And, and across sports, have, have always been very good at kind of making sure that those guys alongside them are rotated and that, you know, people don't get a chance to become comfortable or stale. And I think Leo's obviously following that tack as well. 
you'd struggle to say that this is a team that's in, in a bad place if they now go on and win a, a Champions Cup at the weekend, but definitely they don't carry that air of invincibility that they did at one point. Yeah, and La Rochelle beat them last year, didn't they? So that's going to Absolutely. add a bit of pressure for this Champions Cup final coming. I think what's interesting is that three of the teams taking part in the finals that played the weekend just gone, all rested players for, for very different reasons. Mm. La Rochelle rested them because... They are all but assured of finishing second in the top 14. So they rested like their players. They played, uh, Bottier came off the bench, Dante returned from injury. So they did play some of the, the players to give them some game time. But they rested a lot of players and lost to Montpellier. Toulon rested a lot of players and lost 43-7. Part of the reason Toulon rested players is because they need to get their, their GIF average up because they need, right. they, need, <laughs> yeah. they need 36 GIF players, so basically domestic players, in their last two games to make sure they don't get a points deduction. That's but fine. So they lost as well with, with resting a lot of players and obviously Leinster yeah lose by one point for the second in a row because Leinster were looking at the prospect of I think five knockout games in successive weekends so that it's almost like you know a World Cup knockout stage for them yeah. dealing with um, with with URC and and the Champions Cup I think one thing that was slightly different last year was that they'd already lost to La Rochelle before the semi-final mm-hmm. I think it was so they then put all their eggs in in the URC basket and still lost by one point so yeah two different ways of doing it and they both come unstuck in, in, in the same way so if they win the Champions Cup people will all, all but forget about this but if they lose the Champions Cup again then it's two years in a row where they've had to rest some players and have failed to get silver on both yeah, occasions yeah yeah so the, now that the Stormers are playing Munster in the final the final's going to be in Cape Town Mark which I think the Stormers were pretty pleased about when they found out yeah. I mean, it's always a slightly um, questionable tactic. I feel when you're, you're, you're when teams celebrate draws or you know, <laughs> as in who they've been paired with. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't a draw in this case, but they were. You know, it's not difficult to understand why they feel a home final against Munster would be preferable to an away final against Leinster. I think they will have enough, having seen them multiple times this season. Stormers, I think they would go in as a strong favourites here again. Both sides of the ball very strong, with some electric backs here and, and, and an outstanding pack. So. Munster having to travel down there, it's it's a big, big ask. It would be, I think, one of the most impressive results in their history if they could pull that off. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? In the Champions Cup, as in the URC, anyone who can win in South Africa is going to bloody deserve it, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Munster have won in South Africa yeah. last yeah. month. Uh, although there was the Stormers were suffering from, I think, a lot of travel fatigue at the time, mm. which, which is a caveat. But Munster's away form has been superb. So against a slightly more rested Stormers, you know, they will still stand a chance based off their, their recent form. Yeah. So we are going to tackle the Champions Cup in a little bit. But first, we'd, why not the Challenge Cup? Because that's coming on Friday. And up next, we're going to chat to a friend of the podcast, Dan Bigger, who's gearing up for that game for Toulon against Glasgow. So, right, pleasure to be joined by Dan Bigger down the line from Toulon. And Dan, we've just been saying off air, the weather looks absolutely horrendous where you are. <laughs> We're lucky down here. The weather's been pretty good. I haven't had, I actually had a tiny bit of rain yesterday, first time in, in quite a few weeks. So, <laughs> Poor you. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not getting the violin out too just yet. But um, no, life's, life's pretty good when you, you know, we, we just trained, finished training now. We've... Um, a little bit of sort of walkthrough stuff and recovery stuff this morning for the boys who played and then just finished doing some kicking and um, yeah always a little bit easier coming into training when the weather's like this so uh, hopefully hopefully it'll be similar in Dublin on Friday night uh, maybe not yeah I mean <laughs> I know you've still got your place in um, the west of Wales but yeah it's we haven't had summer yet in the UK I don't think <laughs> it, it was glorious in Brecon on the weekend was it? I okay, should say then. it was absolutely delightful oh you should stay in Wales more then <laughs> <laughs> so Dan you got your big final coming how cool is it to start with I guess just being a big final yeah most people have asked this before and it's it's brilliant to be in the final when you're in a you know you get to the semi-finals finals of this competition it's it's absolutely one that you want to go and win. And this club has had some heartache in this competition, losing four finals. So I think the importance or the perception this week is that it's not just, oh, we're in a final, if we win it, we win it. If we don't, we don't. It's very much a, a huge step for this group uh, and the club itself. Because like I said, there's been four, I think it's four finals they've lost in this competition for a club and a, and a team which has had the success you know, in that in that four or five year period, it's sort of 
it would be a big, important step for us as a club to get it over the line. And yeah, and also just great to be part of a, a big weekend, really, I suppose. You know, we've we, we've worked hard for this over the over the course of the season and hopefully we can we can go one further than we have in four previous finals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is that, I don't know, not rammed down your throat, but is that really important? I mean, obviously everyone knows about the kind of Johnny Galactico era yeah. um, of those Heineken and Champions Cup finals, but you've got a pretty decent team now yourselves, haven't you? Is, is that yeah, we, is we, that pushed on you that, that this winning these things is really quite important from the ownership and all that? This, this, competi- this competition has been massively, massively pushed on us because Pierre was here, obviously, when they was back to coast when they were uh, in the Galactico era. Era president, obviously the new president who's come in has invested a lot of money and resources and in the club, the players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think for us to have to get that in the in the trophy cabinet after a few near misses in finals will be a huge step for us and, and hopefully a, a bit of a springboard for us to really kick on for bigger honours in in the next year, two years, three years, whatever it is. Um, so there's 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 definitely the significance of this week hasn't been lost on this group from the coaches. It's it's something that they're absolutely sort of desperate for in this part of the world and um, obviously off the back of losing last weekend out in Racing with a number of changes it's massively important that we get the job done on Saturday or Friday night yeah 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 so talk to us about a few of the characters in the squad obviously some famous names and Sergio Parise is still going on he's one of them isn't he the king of the nightclubs still- down south is he yeah, well, I think I think he's I think he's more king of Paris. I think I think yeah, he's okay. got more connected. So I think he's I think he's come down here and just just living the the, the tranquil lifestyle down the <laughs> south of France by the sea and uh, away from the hustle and bustle in Paris. But he's he's an unbelievable character at 39, still putting in some unbelievable performances. He looks after himself incredibly well in terms of working the gym and how he's still going at 39 is is, is unbelievable. Really, after playing 15 years in the top 14, it's not as if it's a, a short season Mickey Mouse league. You, you put your body through a fair bit in those seasons so he's been he's been he's been brilliant he's been also been really helpful for me because he speaks obviously perfect french perfect english so there's been anything which has been needed to to say quickly or in the moment or translate it for, for the team's need it's been it's been handy having someone like him who can speak brilliant english as well baptiste saran has been has been brilliant here as well for me so again speaks really good english so so helps and just a really good group of players really good group of players the Fijian boys are good as well due to Wainakolo Waisea Naisalevo so uh, we've got a good group of foreigners here who have who have integrated with the French boys well as well but yeah Sergio's the king my wife was starstruck when she met Sergio at, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the first I think it was a Christmas party I think it was a Christmas oh, yeah. party and she was a bit, she was a bit in awe really so, <laughs> uh, so yeah impressive impressive character I was going to say about your French how's the the, the damn bigger spray in French, <laughs> um, it's, had, it's had to be refined a little bit. It's had to be refined. Um, Industrial. It, it's a little, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit more. I think. I think when the spray comes out, it tends to be more in English. So I think people can just about understand the basic words that are coming out. But I'm trying. I, I am trying to. I'm trying to speak French as much as I can. We just had um we had a team meeting this morning and sort of made, you know, made some points in the meeting and things in French. And it's just, it, it gives you, gives you a real good feeling. Real you know fair bit of confidence as well in, in yourself it's, you're out of your comfort zone as well and I, I hope and I think the boys have understood what, what the points were so uh, <laughs> we, we'll find out on Friday night if we look as if we know what we're doing it's, it's, it's been difficult it has been difficult I think anyone who comes over and says they pick the language up perfectly easily straight away is it's probably not been 100% truthful it's, it's not easy but We've got a good group here, good coaches who speak a little bit of English and help along the way as well. And hopefully in time to come, I'll speak more and more French as well, which is something I've always wanted to do anyway. Dan, how is the, the, the culture in, in French rugby? Obviously, everyone's heard so many stories <laughs> down the years of, you know, bottle of wine at lunch at training and, and kicking the ball out uh, intentionally at the start of the match just so there's a scrum and a fight at the start. How is, how is, <laughs> how is it compared to those stories having played against French what? teams for so long? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's quite on that scale just just now, but I'd say that there's there's definitely an element of I I don't think I've ever drunk as much red wine in my in my <laughs> sort of in my career as I have probably the last few times in terms of in terms of when you go for lunch in terms of it's almost like it it's just normal that people have a glass of red with lunch or whatever and things and um, I've got I've been going for I've got a French teacher who. I'm not sort of in a classroom as such with him. I'm very much sort of out and about in restaurants, shops, um, asking for directions, things like that. So it's called. So every time we go for lunch and things, it's always like a glass of red on the table and, and things. So I've tra- I've kind of enjoyed that side of it very much. So in, uh, in in terms of the off-field stuff and the culture is amazing. The the, the fans, the, the 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 people here are just absolutely crazy. Fred, the you know the crowds are 
just absolutely crazy before games, after games. The, the amount of people, the cities, the stadiums are absolutely packed here. And uh, there's a real, there's a, from what I've sensed being here since November, there's a real feel-good factor in French rugby at the minute in terms of obviously the national team. National team are doing really, really well. A home, a home World Cup in which they're going to be right up there as favourites to to go and win. The top fourteen as a domestic league is a very, very strong league. Now people can say what they want about it, but what it is, it's thriving. It's packed out every single week. It's an attractive, colourful league for people to come and play in and test yourself in. And I'd say, I'd say the culture is very much your, your home games are so important. Your home games are so. I'll flip it. The away games are so difficult to win, whereas. Your home games probably are so mean so much to the crowd, the supporters, the club that it just focuses you a little bit more for for your home games. But the away games are definitely, definitely tougher to, to win out here. And I think French rugby is in a really, really good place at the minute. And given all the difficulties that you know we've all been witnessing in in English and, and Welsh club rugby, you are you just enjoying kind of being removed from it all and, and having a lovely time yeah. in the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am actually. It's. I think what you know, whenever you, whenever I speak to you know yourselves or or, or people similar, people think, oh, you know, people see the the blue sky in the background and by the sea and the, all those bits and pieces, and and of course that's that was part of the decision to come and and and, and play for this club because that's when you play. I think when you certainly when you play for Toulon, that's a big appeal and it's quite an easy sell. But you can also fall into a bit of a trap, which I think some players have over the years of thinking that you just you're just here for the house with the pool and the, the weather and things like that and. I'd like to think my character is, isn't that, and it's very much when you come into work. Of course, when you when you're away from work, you enjoy the the weather, the beach, etc. But I think it's important that my character still has that desire to work incredibly hard, achieve things on the field as as well as enjoying it off it. And uh, and like I said, like you said, the, the the finances and the struggles that that's going on probably at the minute in England and and Wales are does make it does make it. It just feels I've been a little bit lucky with timing to to get out of there as. In, in the right time and I'm certainly going to enjoy the, the next couple of years and make the most of it like I said in the in the, in the sun and with a, with my family living a, a really nice lifestyle Dan you obviously went back during the Six Nations and it was I don't know another another Six Nations with a bit of chaos going on but did this one feel different to maybe the other ones where there were talk of regions merging and all that when you won the Grand Slam in 19 was it there's almost more despair this time that it was just like not again and how are we yeah. in this position I think I think that it seemed like there was more desperation around there uh, this time around that boys boys were really you know I think almost in 2019 but I think boys were sort of thinking no this this isn't going to happen or this can't happen or there's going to be something that's going to save it whereas I think that this time around there felt a real it felt very real again it was difficult for me to really comment on because I wasn't living and breathing it and directly involved in it but you can just see the stress and the strains on people and I think that that certainly that England week took its toll a little bit on on the squad and almost I've said I've said previously we were almost quite glad to get out of the veil and go to Paris and mm. Rome and East for the for the week get away from things and you know we we do it pretty well in Wales sort of trying trying to trying to put a crisis into Welsh rugby we're, we're pretty good at that if there's a World Cup for that we'd definitely be world champions <laughs> so so we, we'll we'll see we'll see I, ho- I hope things improve because it's like I said you've got lots of friends and colleagues who who play there and I hope things can improve but it was a difficult it was difficult going back and I think when you compare the, the two it's talking and cheese really in terms of the finances the the support that, that you've got over here in terms of for the game it's it's chalk and cheese I think it, it must be tiring though like you've you've had this for a lot of your career that the whole siege mentality thing works to an, a point but when it's guys livelihoods and properly affecting what they're going to be doing next season and their wives girlfriends yeah. partners mums dads are all really concerned it's, it's trying to win a game on a Saturday, and then there's thinking about where your next paycheck's coming from, isn't there? Draining, and, and it was draining for it was draining for me being in all those meetings, and I didn't yeah. really have anything to lose in a sense. You know, you know, it was very much I was fairly secure in my position, but it was just draining in terms of listening to going over things over and over and over, and what's right, what's wrong, what's the best thing to do, is it going to happen, is it not going to happen, all those, and whether everyone's happy with what's the outcome is and what, what's come and what their contracts have been offered and accepted and signed, whatever. I just hope that, that at least we can, boys can park that now and, and, and at least sort of try and concentrate on being in a bit of a bubble together for the next couple of months in Switzerland and Turkey. And, and we tend to do, do a lot better when we're away from things and, you know, out of the goldfish bowl and we can just focus on ourselves, focus on the, the rugby and the conditioning and, and not worry about, you know, hopefully not worry about the contract situation and, the if, buts, and maybes. At least now, boys know whether they're in a good position mm. or bad position. They know what position they're in. If you're talking to the Welsh rugby public now, do you, is the message that look, 
we're going to be all right. Like, took a couple of months together, those camps, you always perform pretty well at those World Cups, better than expected in the last couple, particularly. Like, yeah, I, th- I think I think that, you know, you can, you can never... You can never see into a crystal ball, can you? And but I, what what experience has told me and, and has taught me that during World Cup cycles, now I'm not pretending that we're in a, the same place that we were certainly four years ago in terms of a settled team, a winning team, success. You know, we're in a different space mm. now. But what experience and what time has taught me is that the more we are together, the better we get. The more you know, the World Cup campaigns in you know you look at 11, 15, 19, and hopefully this time, whatever we've done has seemed to work okay for us you know what I mean and I'm not saying we've become the best team but we've certainly been unlucky in a couple of comp- a couple of those competitions with injuries and whatever but so I think we've got confidence in that the more time we spend together we've uh, we can improve now we're probably starting a little bit behind the eight ball this time around compared to previous years or previous tournaments but I think what it what we have got is we've got confidence that we'll spend more time together work on conditioning rugby etc etc and and hopefully just just be a bit more cohesive and and understand exactly what what we're trying to do. A bit more time together just helps everything. So hopefully mm. that that will help in in terms of this this summer, and we can we can spring a few surprises because no one's no one's going to be talking about us for 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 competing or or or, or maybe getting out of the pool or whatever whatever people are going to say. It's actually quite nice for us at the minute to just really keep our heads down, get out of the country, and see if we can spring a few surprises. Yeah, yeah. So bringing it back to this week, you quite enjoy playing Scottish teams, don't you? You had a bit of fun in the Six Nations, didn't you? All, all talk, no silverware. I got asked by a Scottish journalist last week, he said, is, is, your, is, is, the, is, the, is the experience in Murrayfield going to taint you playing against a Scottish team? I said, well, I said, I've also had quite good experience playing against Scottish <laughs> quite a few my career them. as well. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have you know. So um, <laughs> I've, I've, done, I've done okay against Scottish teams previously as well, but it's, well, for me, I, I, it's going to have absolutely zero relevance whatsoever. Yeah. It's I'm playing for a French club against a Scottish club in in Dublin, so yeah. um, it's going to have zero. You know, Glasgow are a very good side. That's the first thing to say. They've they've had a really, I know they had a, uh, they've had a tough couple of weeks. Obviously, losing the, the quarter final at home to to Munster, but they're a very good side. They can they can play they can play different ways. They can mix it up in terms of throwing the ball about with some some exciting players, but also. They've got a group of forwards who can strangle a game as well, if or, or certainly, yeah, strangle a game when it when in, when is needed. So we're going to have to make sure we we play really well. We've got you know an X factor backline and and some real grunt up front. So I think for us it's about making sure we finals and and big matches are about making sure your your basics are pretty good. So we focus a lot on this week, making sure our set piece, uh, our discipline. And our, and our kick, kicking game is is on the money. So if we get that right, generally I think everything else will will fall into into bar. But we're you know I think it's we've got two teams who will like to throw the ball about, but also can mix it up a little bit when when we need to set piece wise as well. Yeah, well I'm going to make a plea on behalf of all journalists that you don't stop telling us what you think because it's all good fun and it's all it's all <laughs> well, meant in the right way, isn't it? It's all a bit of fun and adds to the spice, and we don't well, want people just, to be boring and don't say what they think. I always, I, that's why, that's why I answer you. I, I'd like, always like to think I answer, answer honestly. No, you do. Yeah. Some people are gonna, some people will like it. It's gonna come back and bite you on sometimes. But if that's what I think, I'm just gonna say it. I got yeah. no, I got, I couldn't care less about people having an opinion on me. I'm far past that now. So, <laughs> no, good on you, good yeah. on you. Yeah. So no, all good, all good. So hopefully we can, we can do a job on Friday. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, all the best for it, Dan. And Cheers, well. really good luck for the rest of the season and everything else because you got trying to get into the barrage too, and then popping back over to Wales for all that but for now thanks so much for joining us Dan and good luck for Friday absolute pleasure as always cheers mate voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iPhone there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
So, yes, as flagged, we have a Champions Cup final on the weekend in Dublin. Leinster against La Rochelle, a repeat of last year's final, the first time we've had a, an exact repeat, although different venue, uh, year after year. And now we were just talking before we hit record on this, and I think we're all massive fans of La Rochelle, basically because they've got a cool ground and they've got a fun place to go, right? But, Mark, do you reckon they've got a proper shout at beating Leinster in Dublin? I do. I, I actually think they're going to do it. Um, I think their game is one that's almost kind of custom made for a game like this. The um, and they're one of the few sides in Europe who could go in confidently, backing themselves to out out physical, if that's the right word, Leinster to be to out muscle Leinster. Um, they, it's just such a sensational pack that they have there, allied to um, everything that they have behind the scrum as well. You saw the scenes last year when they went back to to, to La Rochelle having won it. I think if if any if you're a player that's been part of that, you're going to be absolutely driven to sample it again. Uh, and I, I just think they're going to have. I think it's going to be tight again, but I think La Rochelle will have just enough. Yeah, absolutely. Elgin, you you've been to La Rochelle quite recently, haven't? You? Was that the Gloucester game? Yeah, I was at the Gloucester game as a, as a, as a neutral fan during a part of a little road trip around around the south and uh, south and the the west of France. Uh, and it, it of the fourteen or fifteen or so grounds I've been to in France, in France, it is now my favourite one. Yeah. Just the atmosphere there. It was a sellout crowd. Obviously, it was a great game, and Gloucester came so close to winning mm. as well. And just the whole atmosphere of just how beautiful the town is by itself, the the singing and the chanting. I mean, when Weenie Artonio was down injured, the whole crowd was chanting his name as if trying to revive him, <laughs> and, and it seemed to work. Uh, yeah. And we, we, the three of us that were there, didn't seem to recall a crowd reviving a man just by chanting yeah. his name before. But uh, no, it was a spectacular occasion, and yeah, it's uh, it's one of my one of my favourite places in France to watch rugby. So I watched them in that Exeter game um, in Bordeaux the other week. Um, obviously down the road from where their actual stadium is, but that was awesome. And they put a yellow flag on every seat, including in the press box, which we put quietly underneath the seat rather than waving it. Um, but I just felt... So that there was something about in the way that they smelled blood that reminded me of the France game against England in Twickenham, where if they sense a small weakness in your defence or a chink in the armour or something, or someone makes a dominant carry you can almost see the rest of the team physically rise up and the crowd love it too and they they smell it as well and you can hear them. It's it's, it's funny cause sometimes, isn't it, because we're used to the sounds and sights of sort of British and Irish crowds, but it's a bit like Spanish football where there's a different noise they make when a goal goes in or something. And the French, are there's a sort of wee kind of noise to it when they get going it's quite fun isn't it absolutely it's when when the, when french forwards pick and go up the middle it is just the best thing in rugby because mm. like you say the ch- the crowd just all get behind it yeah. and it, it is one of the one of the great sides of the game and yeah it is it is different to other nations i don't i don't know why it's just completely intangible but it is just different watching french forwards pick and yeah, go up the middle yeah. and we haven't even mentioned him yet but the cool narrative for the second season in a row is man of munster Ronan Agara trying to beat Leinster in Dublin. That's quite fun, isn't it, Mark? Yes, I'm sure it'll mean very little to him. But, um, <laughs> be, it's all about the players, of course. But no, that that, that just adds another absolutely brilliant, brilliant layer of narrative over the top, doesn't it? And uh, he's done fantastically well uh, at La Rochelle. He's kind of demonstrated himself already to be one of the, you know, not just one of the most promising, one of the, in the here and now, one of the best coaches in Europe. Mm. Um, so... You know, another uh, continental title to under his belt would, uh, would would cement that. Yeah. So, are neither of you giving Leinster a, a, a shot? They're going to be favourites, probably, with lots of the bookmakers, aren't they, to win the the fifth star? I'll go. Yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be within you know within five points either way. It's yeah. going to be a close game. <laughs> Could be an epic. Mark, what do you reckon? I'm, I'm going to very much the same. I'm going to go within three, but Lanarkshire edging it. Okay. So we're going to go for a hat trick. Maybe I should go the other way now, just to be more interesting. Leinster for the fifth, because that would equal them with Toulouse, wouldn't it? For five stars on the jersey, and it's interesting. We've talked about it before, but we just before we're talking about the sort of domination of the URC or whatever it used to be called, Pro Fourteen Magnus, Pro Twelve before that by Leinster, but actually they've not won the Champions Cup since 2018. So. In terms of legacy and, I don't know, achieving the things that, that people have sort of assumed they should do, kind of need to win this. And 
Lancaster would be pretty miffed if he left without that, I'd imagine. I mean, I mean, it says everything for just how good Leinster are that people are regarding a second season without any silverware, but with a Champions Cup final mm. and a one-point semi-final URC defeat as almost a catastrophic failure yeah. because, yeah, they've won four URCs in a row. They haven't won. It, doing that double is so difficult. They did it in 2018, but now two years in a row, they, they've just fallen short. They might get, you know, half the double this year. But, you know, they have a league that they know they are able to rest players in throughout the season, which is, you know, a shame, but they know they can do it and it does by and large work for them. So, yeah, like I say, it, it, it does seem, so, it can sound sometimes like people are kind of, willing them to lose and, and, and belittling them for what they do. But they have been so successful that just any drop down from that is is what seems like failure. But again, yeah. you know, they're in a European final against La Rochelle and it's going to be a great game. It's just the, it's it's probably no malice on behalf of them, but it's it's just what happens to the dominant team, isn't it? Like Man United in the noughties, Man City now, Real Madrid, like the top side with decent funding and all the best players, people want them to lose, don't they, Mark? That's kind of how it works. Celtic, same yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Indeed, you're there to be shot down, and uh, yeah, and and people take as much pleasure in your descent as uh, as your own supporters do in your in your rise. So um, I think there's definitely a bit of that going on with Leinster these days. Yeah, right. So massive final. We'll review it after it's happened next week on the Ruck. But to sign off this episode, I hope you're all ready for a God or Goddess of the Week nomination. Who wants to go for? I, I've got one up the sleeve. So can, shall I do mine and then? you guys can have a panic and a think while I'm talking. <laughs> so I, I mentioned him before, and like, he wasn't the only one who was influential. There were loads of the Northern lads um, alongside him, but I just thought George Ford was epic on Sunday. And Owen Farrell was brilliant himself on Saturday, so that's going to be amazing. But the way he managed the team, and actually Rob Dupree, who played 10 for most of the season, probably one of the best players of the season, but they've shunted him out to 13 to accommodate Ford. And taken a few games to get going because of his Achilles injury but he now looks like he's not just match fit but he's got that kind of click in his brain as well and he's only just pushing 30 which people forget because he's been playing since he was about 16 hasn't he so I just thought he was epic so he's going to be my god of the week George Ford well played Elgin do you want to go next? Yeah, I'm going to go for for Jack Crowley who kicked the the winning drop goal for Munster and the reason I'm going for him is because firstly Everyone loves a winning drop goal. And whenever big big match tournaments, World Cups come around, everyone starts talking about drop goals. And especially these days, the death of the drop goal. And people still say, you know, when, when a team is in the 22, hammering away at the line and not necessarily going anywhere, commentators will still instantly go, I don't know why they're not going for a drop goal. Yeah. They happen so rarely these days that it is probably a massive gamble to go for a drop yeah, goal. But yeah. it doesn't happen very often. But that just means that when you do see it happen, it's just a great moment. And when it happens with two minutes, three minutes to go, you win the game. We saw it with Freddie Burns last year. You saw it with Ronan O'Gara about 15 times during his <laughs> Ireland and Munster career. And now with, with Jack Crowley. So, yeah, that's why I'm going with Jack Crowley for reviving the, the, the difficult dying art of the, drop, of the winning drop goal. Good effort. Uh, before you give us your God of the Week nomination, Mark, as a man who covers Italian rugby well and knows far more about it than most of us, there's a little bit of breaking news on the Italian front with their World Cup squad. Can you update us on what's happened up there? Yes, yeah, so there was a sense that there would be some kind of big news line coming out of this today. There have been chat about Sergio Parisi finally getting his, his, his last appearance and whatnot, but that, that hasn't happened. Paolo Dogu and Dino Lamb have both been called in by Kieran Crowley to begin preparations for the World Cup. Um, we know that they've been putting a heavy focus recently on um, trying to broaden their base by looking at dual qualified players, guys that have previously been thrown a lot in with other countries. Um, and there's an immediate result of it. And probably in two areas of the team where they are, they are really not necessarily lacking, but could do with some reinforcements. Mm. We know the threat that they have in that back three now and an excellent standoff in, in Paolo Garbisi, but centres is maybe an area that, that can definitely be improved. Second row, likewise. Um, so it's not hard to understand the logic there. Um, I'm sure that traditionalists will be uh, up in arms as usual. But that you know, <laughs> the fact is that both these guys are are fully qualified and 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 ready to go. Yeah, I'm. I'm not actually. I should look it up. I'm not actually sure on Dino Lamb's qualification, but I know that Paolo Adogu. He's not a residency guy at all. He's no pretty much half Italian. So anyone complaining about that that's that's completely legitimate and and having spoken to him before i think quite a lot of his childhood was fairly italian plenty of pasta at christmas and he's <laughs> half nigerian sort of nigerian british but also italian so good on him 
Good on him. But yes, we should have your God of the Week before you dash off to talk to some Glasgow Warriors. I'm going to go heavy parochial and nominate the man who's sitting through the, the wall from me at the moment. <laughs> and, and, uh, I hope he can hear me. And, uh, and, and Franco Smith, um, the, the Glasgow coach who came in and inherited an utter shambles this time last year, both on and off the pitch. Glasgow just had almost 80 points put on them in a URC quarterfinal by Leinster, the aforementioned Leinster, when they, they were good. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, the recruitment had not been great. There was a real disconnect between the fan base and the and and the club, and almost on his own, he has he has solved these problems. And whether he wins a trophy or not against Toulon on Friday night, he's had an exceptional season and been a real galvanising force across the board for for the club. Um, been too long since a, a Scottish team genuinely genuinely were in contention for a trophy. He's done that on two fronts this year. So um, Franco Smith is my main man. Well, hey, there we go. It's a decent spread. There we go. It's a big week now. We're winding down. A couple of rucks left for the end of the season um, before we all probably have a little bit of a break in June and then piling back in in the summer for the build-up to the World Cup, which has just come round quickly, hasn't it? But for now, that has been the ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. Mark, you, you're flying off to Dublin on for Friday. What else is floating your boat yeah. in the week? Plenty more to come from the Glasgow camp. I'm sure there will be. We'll be filling our boots over the next few days. Awesome. And Elgin, Giro d'Italia is on the telly. What yeah. else are you, you covering for us? Well, I've been acting as the, the Belgium sports correspondent for the Times <laughs> recently because I've had plenty of cycling with Remco Evenepoel, uh, who's just had to withdraw from Giro because of a positive COVID test. Who, who remembers oh. positive COVID tests? Yeah. And, uh, and before that, Luca Brussel in the snooker. So I've been, I've been knee-deep in Belgium recently. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. Geraint Thomas, my, my fellow Welshman, currently in pink at the Giro. So, you know... That'd be a lovely story to report, wouldn't it? There you go. Well, plenty more sports to follow on the Times, but this has been the wrap from the Times and the Sunday Times, all about your rugby for the weekend. And we'll be back next week to review a couple of finals. But for now, thanks for listening. Follow and subscribe, tell your mates, and see you all next week. Goodbye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.